Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Transvox. And today, Jenny is resplendent in a West Ham football strip and a pair of pink pussycat ears. I mean, it really is astonishing what this person would turn up well. It's, it is extraordinary what you're picking up from, and uh, uh, and you know, I you know, I just just the way I roll. Um, but West Ham, I don't think so. Well, I'll go with the pink. I'll go with the pink. I remember doing um, a podcast once with a person that did have a pair of pussycat headphones on, and it was quite it'd be interesting because they were sort of sticking off the top of her head, and um, and all I can remember is she was a very very lively speaker, and. Um, and I basically asked her um, how she was doing. And she paused for breath after 29 and a half minutes. Blimey. At which point I said, that's been a joy to talk to you. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs> Blimey. I thought I could talk. That's, so that's... talking to you is always a delight, you see. I'll, I'll take that in, uh, hopefully, in the way it was, uh, it was presented. We'll see. I mean, we can reserve judgment about that, actually. Well, why not? Wait till the end of the podcast. Don't be so rash. Well, anyway, today, ha- we're, we're starting on a jocular sort of vein, but we're, what we thought would be, would be interesting to do is to sort of break down some of the key emotions and where they might affect people during the course of uh, transition and post-transition and maybe pre-transition. And I thought we'd start with anxiety today because it's, it's a biggie. Uh, it sort of can affect everybody. It can have far-reaching consequences. It's not restricted to trans people, but we do, so, I think, suffer from, well, we experience the effects of anxiety across different places, both in terms of physically what we have to do, but also in terms of the whole pro- process, even through to um, talking to someone quite recently who had a date for surgery, wondering whether it was the right thing for them. And being slightly anxious, and uh, you know, how, and how things escalate. So, I, I mean, first of all, before we get into definitions and such, like, is is this is this a theme that's something that you have a resonance for you, Jen? Oh, definitely resonates me. I think, uh, um, and I, I think I suffer from general anxiety anyway. I'm a, a born worrier, and day to day I have anxiety, um, and and part of that I think is related to my gender identity and current current climate but that has always been part of my life uh, I've um, if I didn't have something to to worry about I'd worry so um, I think I inherited that from my mum I think but yes um, um, it's it's always been part of my life so yeah and still is I'll, I'll, I, I'm pretty confident at some point I'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning obsessing about something I've said in this podcast and worried that I've said something dumb and those intrusive thoughts, trying to get them out of your your brain when you suffer from anxiety, is difficult. So yes, I definitely relate to anxiety. How about you? Um, probably less so than you. And um, and I think one of the things that you just picked up there is quite fascinating because I think it's something like I can't remember the exact stat, but it's something like fifteen percent of the anxiety we have is genetic. So if we have anxious mm. parents, we are more likely to be anxious ourselves. Both because there's a genetic predisposition, but because that comes from a chemical uh, response in in our genes, so I think that's quite it's quite interesting that it's almost like one has a beat rate of enhanced anxiety if your parents were either because they were physiologically themselves or because they brought brought your um, experience and the results sort of fruits of their anxiety. So that's quite interesting. It is interesting. I mean. Um... My brother doesn't think suffer from anxiety in any, any way the same way, and he's much more reckless and 
free going. So that, that I, it's interesting to say, but my mum definitely was. Yeah. And I think I still have that now. So, you know, constantly, I remember as a kid, constantly worried if my parents went out shopping that they wouldn't come back and that sort of thing. So I've always, it's always been part of my life. Um, and, and, and actually my work as well, because I, um, supporting uh, staff members in the NHS. Anxiety is a very common reason that people struggle at work and, and maybe off work sick. So that's and, definitely and I, something we need to. And, and it's important to say that anxiety is is, is, is is a proper thing. I mean, people bandy the term around. Um, mm. And anxiety is something that we experience. We are not anxious people. We, have, we experience the effects of anxiety because it's a completely mm. natural reaction that can go out of kilter it can it's a completely normal physiological response or psychological response that can can serve us really really well because mm. it primes us for risk but it also can get out of hand because actually we don't have the right strategies in place or better coping strategies to deal with the fear of its the future or or the um the novel or the new or the unknown which is what anxiety is all about and um, and and the the most common way that the NHS deals with it is CBT or cognitive behavioural therapy, yeah. which is a an approach, and the second approach is to um, to dose people up with drugs, and um, you know both of those things have their uses, but it's not necessarily the best place for all. And sometimes understanding what effect you can have on your own anxiety is really quite useful. I think. Yes, uh, I, I, I think that's. I think that's very true. It's, a, I mean, it's, I guess, you know, the, as you said, it's interesting that actually there's nothing wrong with being anxious, you know, it's a, a protection. It's where you're not able to control it, I guess, and catastrophize, I catastrophize a lot. So, you know, very small things become very big. But um, I've learned to live with it. So it's not something in, in of itself that I don't, I haven't learned to sort of live with. And, um, and, you know, and it's very easy to mask as well, because people on the face of it um, who come across me at work would see me as very confident, I guess, in certain situations. But, you know, we never know what's going on behind anybody we meet, don't we, and behind, uh, behind the surface. So, yeah, it's fascinating. So I think if we, if we break down some things, so, I mean, the first the first point we can, I mean, there's tons of points where we can experience anxiety. But in terms of transition, we often, there's a degree of anxiety around being honest with ourselves about our gender, perhaps, especially maybe if you come to that slightly later in life, you know, that whole mm. process of gender questioning can be a cause of anxiety because it's it it's that old classic chestnut. Are we anxious because we are uh, gender insecure or gender unsure or the reverse? So gender, the gender issue doesn't make us anxious in itself, but the, the effects of it do, because, of course, the impact of actually recognizing your agenda and deciding to make it significant changes in our life can have all sorts of social upheavals and so that thing of, of my course. god what will happen what will i be able to do what will i do with my family what will i be able to do at work what will it mean for me that's all about catastrophizing or being anxious or being worried about the future which is anxiety and it's it, completely normal and natural isn't it it's an understandable and and and, and, right, and and rightly so um because those are very practical live things that you've after you know making choices is anxiety inducing life's a lot easier when you don't have to make choices and um, i wouldn't argue that transition is a choice but you you, you may choose uh certainly in my case of to when it is something that you you start to, to think about 
Um, it's interesting that I goes when I if I, I, I do think about pre-transition when I was uh, nobody knew, but I would be secretly um, dressing as a as a woman. Um, that did give me comfort, so that allayed anxiety, and I, that, that's not unusual because that part of me that was anxious and ashamed sort of might go away for an hour or two. So it certainly helped at that point to help me cope with some anxiety about my place in the world, I think. I don't know if that's, uh, I mean, it's difficult to look back, isn't it, and try and think about your thoughts at the time, but mm. I, I think that, that that's probably true. But the thing about anxiety, which is fascinating, uh, and, and the point of it is that anxiety focuses our attention into the place we're looking. So it's almost like, uh, it's almost like having a pair of glasses that narrows down one's focus. So if we're yes. worried about something in the future, worried about this thing, you know, talking to somebody or telling someone, it's almost that becomes all the all-consuming thing, the only thing you can think about. And part of dealing with anxiety is to widen that up, is to sort of get perspective back about what that's really going to be about. And actually, much more importantly, it's about, as you say, the choices we make or the risks that we manage or the, yes. the plans that we create. And I often bump into people who are have really, and I know you and I have laughed about this before, but you know, when I'm working with people who are thinking about anxiety, very few people have a plan. And the thing about having a plan is about how do you de-risk the future, which in order, in other words, is actually getting control over a degree of the future. And so you can say, well, actually, what happens if this person reacts in this way? Well, what happens if they react in that way? What happens if they react in this way? What happens if they react in this way? So you almost have, you can almost plan and work through what you would say and how you would adapt to those things. And people often with without a conscious way of dealing with um um uh anxiety what they tend to do is to just rush into the future and just catastrophize and of course what ha ends up happening is they notice the things they got wrong and so they they can sort of magnify or focus on, on the things which were difficult rather than seeing the broad thing in context which you often see two or three years later when you look back at it and think actually that's pretty okay but in the moment it just seems like a sort of a horror story doesn't it Yes, it definitely, definitely can do. I'm, I think the issue of transition is interesting around anxiety. Because I don't think I was anxious about transition itself at all. My anxiety came before then uh, about, you know, when I started to think about telling people. And it was circumstances led me able to, to do that. So that it's really interesting that the more I think about it, that as somebody who's been anxious all my life, I wasn't anxious about that momentous decision to transition. Yeah. Once I really wasn't. And I think, you know, part of that is the, the drug of transition, the euphoria, you know, was probably better. I mean, my mental health was probably better the time I transitioned it's ever been in my life. Once I'd come to the decision. Yeah. Um, but I had nothing to lose. So I had, yes, it was difficult with my parents, as I said before, but I had nothing really to lose. And that's, a pro that's the difference, I think. If I had things to lose, I was confident work would, I'd be generally accepted at work. Um, so I didn't have to, that, so that's why it's the one area of my life that was less difficult, really, ironically. But, Which is I not think, the same for everybody, is it? Of course. No, that's true. Uh, it's very different in my world because you know because I've got a lot. I have I have lost a lot and also have a lot more to lose. 
and uh, in common with many people. And I think one of the things that we we do to, if we're if we're not careful, we develop this slightly unhealthy absorption with things online, which generate more anxiety because it's almost like you know there is a visceral physiological response which is happening in your body when you're you're experiencing anxiety and so you can you can actually get quite addicted to that sensation so i was talking to someone the other day who who was very anxious and had been watching videos on tiktok with um is it kathleen stock caroline stock Oh, Kathleen Stock. Stock. Kathleen Stock. Yes. And I said, yeah. well, how many did you watch? And she, and the person said, oh, a good 15 or 16. Oh, gosh. And I said, well, what, what, why? And, and she said, well, because, of course, once I started focusing on it, I got so anxious, I had to keep looking. And it's almost like the what happens is that focus pulls you in. And it, again, it, you, lose that sense of, you lose that sense of perspective. And, you know, it's, and it's called in modern terms doom scrolling. Yeah. So have you heard that, you know, and I've done that on Twitter at times. So scrolling down, looking for things that people are posting that, you know, will impact on you. And that, you know, yeah, that, that is difficult. I do. I am prone to do that at times, um, you know, seeking out um, things that hurt you. But you need to know what's being said, you know. I remember somebody saying to me, well, why do you, do you look at social media? And I sort of said to them, well, imagine you've been in a room and next door there's a big crowd of people next door and they're all talking about you and you don't put your ear to the door you know everybody would listen right and that's sort of a bit what it's like with me so i would really love to switch off from it but i sort of want to know what people are saying about me in terms of who i am and my community so i, I i've never been able to switch off in that way which would be much more healthy for me not to um to be exposed to that stuff um and particularly kathleen's stock because what her views are abhorrent to me yeah yes but, but it's, I, it's it's important for people to understand though that listening to the other people in the other room as you describe it is is a completely natural reaction and part of that is risk management but what you have to do is to remember that it's risk management not um making you feel helpless or actually feeding your anxiety because of course it is just one person's view and the, and it and i think the classic problem with social media is the more you watch something the more you get that thing in your feed so it becomes oh yeah just feeds, as if just everybody's feeds, talking yeah. about it yeah it's the algorithm it, it, it absolutely does um i think it's interesting because i would absolutely be sure if i was transitioning now i'd be anxious mm. so i think that was a difference i was lucky because people weren't saying those things people weren't expressing those views the world wasn't there so i would definitely be anxious anxious now about doing those firsts that i did back then there was you know um yeah so I, that's sad that it's a more difficult world for us now and one of the perspectives um, that we can bring to this is that this idea that, yes, there are people out there who are saying these things. Well, they were always saying these things. It's just they have more oxygen, the oxygen and publicity a little bit more because of the, the the different agendas which are going out there. But there are so, so many more people who are welcoming, accepting their allies. And, and you know, I was I was out uh, with a colleague um, uh, shopping quite recently and, and just staggered how, how little interest people showed in me. And you know, I yeah. still, I still, I'm very tall. Um, I am clearly a trans woman and not 
uh, a cis woman. It's it, there's there's no way one can pretend. But I think on the whole, as long as like as long as everybody else, there are ways to mitigate that anxiety. And one of the ways you build confidence, of course, is expose yourself to that fear. Build, get yourself a, a network of people out you know around you. Go out. It's definitely the case that you go out with another person, you stand out less than if you go out on your own. And I think getting yourself a good a good pal, you know, someone who's who can actually be an ally and a friend and just go out with is actually quite important. I guess so. I mean, that wasn't my experience because I just didn't know anybody else. So I had I had friends who I did socialise and go out with um, once I told them I transitioned. Um, and, you know, I, I get that. And that was, I was anxious. The first time I went shopping, I've told this before, I was anxious. You know, how am I going to be accepted? I, too, at six foot two, remember I had heels on at the time, so I was probably six foot four, um, walking around Stafford anxious about obscene and then realizing that nobody really cared um everybody's either accepting or just getting on with their lives i think what's different now is there's aspects of it you know would i fear being challenged in certain circumstances mm. um it, it, it is is a genuine anxiety now that i i don't have i didn't have then um so yes there's definitely anxious parts of transition because you're doing things for the first times but part mm-hmm. of that anxiety of being challenged and whatever is to is to is to develop the scenario. It's to think to yourself, well, actually, how do I how do I avoid that situation? But also, if that situation happens, what will I do? So the more you can, you know, the more you can put your head into the future, so you have a plan, plan, and you know how to manage the risk, and you practice it, rehearse it, the better the chance you are. Like everything in life, that you are going to be able to cope with the the natural anxiety, so it doesn't go out of kilter. So, for example, you know, I I I'm very careful where I park in the evenings. I'm very careful the sorts of places I go on my own. I'm very careful if I'm going out to a certain part of town, what time of the day and how it is. But that's the same as everybody. So all we have to do is, you know, do maybe a be three or four percent more careful. But but most people are being careful, and most people are thinking, well, if you know, if a gang of teenagers suddenly appears, you know, heading towards you, what are you going to do? Well, these are the things that you have to do, you know, and these and this is what you can do. You can get yourself ready in your own mind's eye. I, th- I think that's right. I mean, it is interesting. There was definitely a period in my life where I didn't think about being trans, and there's pretty much nothing I hadn't done, um, and my fears were the same as other trans women and cisgendered women. Yeah, you know, going into a kebab shop with a bunch, you know, yeah, I worried about those things, but I still did. And actually, I'm, I can't think of any occasion, but I don't think that's the same now. I think the the level of hysteria means that it is more difficult now. Um, and hopefully, that doesn't last. And and I, you're absolutely right. Most people are still positive, but I think the chances of you being um, challenged or, or 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 suffering some hate is more now than you know, in 2010. Yeah. So one of the things you have to work through with someone, a friend, a coach, cancer, whatever it might be, is how you will deal with that. Because yeah. you have to know how you're going to deal with it before it happens. So you're, you're, you are more uh, insured against it if and when it does. So, and the thing is, is what's fascinating, the thing I find is fascinating, the more I've planned it, the more I've insured myself against the risk, the, the mm-hmm. less likely it seems to be to happen because you sort of develop a bit of confidence that, seems to stop the incident happening in the first place from from my understanding from more experienced people than myself it's the it's the 
the signals you exhibit almost when you're being fearful that are the things that are most likely to get you noticed. It's absolutely the, agree. It's absolutely the exceptional agree. behaviors or the exceptional actions you take that make you stand out rather than the, yeah, yeah. rather than just being a bit more confident. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely done that lurking behind supermarket shelves because you weren't confident enough to just stride yeah. around the supermarket makes it look, makes it look weird. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I, it is true though. I mean, I got to the point where there wasn't, I, I did have ways of coping and things. So, you know, I, I've talked before about falling over in front of everybody my first time out in public um, shopping on my own and, you know, and my wig fell off and um, at the time I had false boobs and they fell out and then I've sprawled on the floor in front of everybody, which is embarrassing in any circumstance. But the first mm. time you're out as a, uh, a, a trans person, I was mortified and the world didn't end. You know, people came over and were worried because they see me fall over. Yeah. So there's things like that, that you then learn to, well, that's the worst that can happen. And I thought, well, that's the worst that could happen, and I survived it. So, I think my anxiety stopped. And then, and in the end, there was nothing that I wasn't able to do. And I think I remember the last real fear about um, things that they do was to go swimming, which I was always very nervous about because body image in a swimming costume—that's not—I'm not looking my best in a swimming costume, um, and using shared facilities. And it was absolutely great and absolutely fine. I had no problem. Yeah. So for a, Best part of a year, I did that, and I thought there's nothing. I was proud that there was nothing I hadn't done as a woman. Yeah, really. And I think that's the thing which is harder to do today. Now, one one of the areas which people talk a lot in the anxiety sense is about how do you accessing treatment? How will I be accepted by my doctor, my friends, my mm. family, and such like? So, so let's look at the professional side first. I think well, there is a lot of anxiety about the process because it takes a huge yes. amount of time, a huge amount of effort. And and you will expect to, or you may be expected to wait a long time, and, yeah. and that draining anxiety about when will this happen? Might it happen? What might happen? Will it? What will happen if I get it wrong? All that sort of catastrophization. That's the sort of thing where you do need, you do need someone by your side holding your hand a little bit, literally or metaphorically. I think because because I think that's a natural form of. That's a natural form of anxiety that we all experience. That you know what might happen in the future, and the same way. If you go through treatment, you know, how will the treatment affect me? Will it be side effects? You know, if I have um, operations, you know, will I be Definitely. anxious about having an operation? Well, yes, of course you will, because everybody's anxious. It's a natural response. And I, and I think these are these are things which are separate to transition, because I think, you know, they're, they're, they are they are almost natural responses, which no, anyone, that, that, anyone, any stage can face. That's definitely, yeah, definitely true. I mean, I... Uh everybody that's accessing any nhs services inpatient or outpatient um it's it's anxiety inducing it's just you've got the added if you if you're trans and trying to keep hold of your identity when it you know when it's difficult to that's um that's anxiety inducing i mean my i remember the one thing i was anxious about um accessing services is i then i quite quickly got a referral down to the infamous charing cross clinic um, and then you're asked a bunch of questions by the clinician, and I was thinking, oh, what if I get their questions wrong, but they're not yeah. going to support me? Because I didn't know. There were, there were some of the questions really dumb. I remember one was, oh, do you have a friend that would lend you £20? I don't know. What's that got to do with my, me being a woman, right? <laughs> I can be a dysfunctional woman with no friends. It's okay, you know? Yeah. But back then, you had to somehow demonstrate you were the most functional person in society to be able to be supported. And these are the gatekeepers that 
were there and there's you know there's still an element of gatekeeping yeah. around uh around that 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 is anxiety because you worry about well what if i say the wrong thing and they'll tick something off on their chart and say we don't believe you are who you are i mean that's just you know um that that that's the one bit i think i, I remember of, of accessing that uh of worried about that and i think and I think all you can, and the thing is, what's, what's fascinating is now there are many, many, many people who've been through the process who can actually steer you, guide you, coach you, give you some advice, sort of talk yes. to you about the sort of environment you're going to find, the sort of people, the sort of questions you're going to be asked. And, and actually, um, you know, what they're really interested in. And I think that's quite fascinating. And I think often, you know, we forget that the reason that people are gatekeeping is they're gatekeeping funds, but they're also gatekeeping their own credibility and backsides so yeah, they're yeah. trying not to make a mistake and be caught out or found out and they're just and often i think some of these health providers are just as and i you know we do some training around uh healthcare providers they're just as nervous of the trans community as the trans community are of them because they don't want to get it wrong oh no that's definitely true i mean the training i deliver in the nhs i talk about this a lot um and i'm going to do a session for i think some student nurses um, coming up before long. And one of the things I talk about is I can understand the fear of uh, a clinicians getting things wrong, misgendering or slipping up or saying the wrong thing, because none of them, unless they're wrong people, would want to upset anybody. But what I think the mechanism can happen is then uh, as clinicians, as professionals, you're slightly distant from the, the patient, the trans patient, because you're worried about you don't engage so, as closely because you worry about getting things wrong yeah. and, and and the potential impact because nobody wants to upset anybody nobody wants to um um be complained about so i i i that's definitely a mechanism that i can i can see that people worry about i mean back then in the clinic this was just a really weird the service was very different back then um and you know it was um it was all cisgendered male um doctors basically and as i said before you know, telling young trans women that they should be wearing more skirts, you know, it was a bit, you know, things have moved on, I think, um, significantly since then, although we didn't have the waiting list, so. Um, Apparently one is enough at the same time, anyway. Yes, so, <laughs> that's um... true. No, but I remember this, I just remember this poor, yeah. uh, as a young trans person going, I've been told I'm not dressing girly enough. I mean, what the F is that about? Excuse my language. You know, but that was the way it was back then. There was a, it was that, uh, even then, it's not that long ago. No, well, that's stereotypical idea of. Well, of course, uh, what we're seeing in the United States at the moment is that um, men are deciding what women should wear again. And in one, I think I've mentioned this before, in one of the one of the state legislatures that no woman's allowed to wear a, um, have, have bare arms. So, you know, that's, that's on its way back in the States. But look, and this is one of the things about context is that people think the, the UK is bad. I don't think it really is compared to some parts of America. And we should really be, no, we should true. really welcome the fact that actually we do have an NHS, which is, which might not get everything right. And it, and it certainly doesn't. And how could it? But the intention you see from people across the service is really quite impressive. No, I've, de I've definitely been buoyed by the, the, the people I've um, met delivering training have all been wanting to do the right thing by the people they care for. And that, fills me with so much hope they just want to do the right thing and then just sometimes feel ill-equipped because it's the one area um that 
I think hasn't been addressed in training and things. So, and I so think now one, I, one of the oh. challenges that I, I notice is that if you look at the numbers of trans people in the UK, it's very, very small. So the thing is that a load to us or to me, my transness is quite important to me. And it's maybe a big focus for my life. And it's perhaps an obsession. And it's one of the most important things, you know, for me. But that person you're bumping into may not have actually run into a trans person before. And actually, the fact that they get it wrong or the fact that they don't get it right to my standard doesn't mean they're a terrible person. It just means that they're actually not exposed to as much transness as we think we are. And actually, this is part about saying we can become, through anxiety, too almost too focused on ourselves and lose that sense of context. And so when we're, especially in primary care, you know, a lot of people talk about the sort of patchiness of primary care and the reception that people get from GPs. Well, because a lot of GPs don't meet a trans person. I've got a friend of mine who's a, trans, who's a GP and has never, never, never dealt with a trans person and is incredibly welcoming and incredibly inclusive, but has never actually had one in their surgery. Now, Interesting. isn't that fascinating? I know. I mean, of course, they may have met trans people and they're not aware they're trans. Um, yeah. So there is that, that is certainly the case. I mean, if but you no think one's about actually it, come to them and said, "I am trans. How can you help no. me?" That's no, but the I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that I think that that is true. But yeah, the numbers are small. But you know, between one every you know, if you meet between one you know two hundred people and one hundred people, at some point you're likely to meet a trans person. Of you know, if we think about 0.5 to one percent of the population, and depending where you are, and if you're in big cities. That's much more likely. And if you're in Brighton, for instance, you can look at this. I'll put in the census how many trans people in in every. Yeah. You can check how many people have identified in every uh, council ward. You know, the, so there are places places where it's much more. Yes. But yeah, I mean, I, but from you know, from the point of anxiety, it's that point of well, will I be well looked after? Will I be handled? But there's an anxiety on the other side as well. So I think I think if we're not careful, we can start misjudging people because we think their response to us is hostile to us, whether actually it's just that they're inexperienced. I've and definitely it, been guilty of that, of of, of 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 projecting and thinking somebody's going to be negative towards me, my identity. You know, I've certainly done that with people who are members of certain religions thinking, yeah. oh, God, your religion hates me. And that's just not been the case. I mean, I've been ashamed of me making um, assumptions about other people and their acceptance of who I am. So um, I'm definitely guilty of that. Yeah. Now, uh, one of, again, one of the big anxieties is about socially, how will families work, uh, you know, deal with us? And I know we, we've talked a little bit about that in, in other episodes, but especially around uh, work. Um, and I think this, again, comes back to this, uh, you you, need, you sort of hope for the best, but you have to plan for the worst. And and basically, it's about rehearsing and working out what you're going to say and saying it to people. And it it may turn out to be worse than you thought, better than you thought, the same as you thought. But actually, you need to plan for all contingencies. And mm. sometimes, you know, people rush into these processes headlong and forget that the other people, as part of this process, have rights as well. They have feelings as well. They have. Uh, I mean, they may be dealing with the fact that they're losing a son or a daughter, and, and, and you may be saying, well, you're going to gain a son or a daughter, but what they say is they're loss of something. And I, think, and I think sometimes we have to treat people with the sort of kindness and compassion that we're dealing with that we expect for ourselves. And I think that sometimes helps smooth the way, because the anxiety then can focus on how am I going to react rather than 
you know, how am I going to support that person to help me rather than how am I going to judge that person because they don't support me? I think that's very sensible. I mean, I, I probably wouldn't use the term right, right in some respect, but I think it's, it's right to, to accommodate, you know, I, you know, I made those decisions about when I transitioned and I may make different decisions. I, um, I spent my time accommodating other people by using humour and not taking myself so seriously so as not to make other people feel awkward mm. when I regret doing that now. So yeah, I, I, I regret doing that. So there's, there's, um, I think there's a point where, yes, we do have to accommodate other people um, in, in, some, in certain circumstances. And families are complicated. And if you've got a partner, that's, that's really difficult. You know, I can imagine uh, that I wasn't in that situation. Um, yeah, um, I, I get that. Um, I think it's important, but it, it's not it's not right to say it's an equal footing of the person, you know, you, you're transitioning because that's who you are. Um, we can't make people accept us, unfortunately. No, and that's, and that's my point. It's, you can't expect, you can't expect people to behave in a way that we don't take, behave ourselves. And if we're not tolerant of other people's views and feelings and approaches and saying, well, I, you know, this is who I am and I expect you to support me and I expect you to do this and I expect you to do that. That's not the toleration that we'd expect from somebody else. And I think sometimes our anxiety can make us more short-tempered. It can make us more uh, emotionally um, vulnerable. It can it can get us to a state where we're more likely to have an emotional reaction rather than be a bit more calm about the process. And again, this is part of sitting down with someone, working it through, talking about the, in a very dis cool and dispassionate way, what you will do in certain situations. And, and, I, and I, you know, I would say this because I'm a psychologist, wouldn't I? But, you know, what mm -hmm. I do find with people is that they sometimes just launch themselves. So, so there's sort of something gets discovered. You have a conversation. You launch into it. It all goes off. It becomes a row. And then you have to sort of rewind and start. But the trouble is the genie's out of the bottle in, the, in a way that's uncontained, un, unplanned and not working. And, it, and you can do all the planning in the world. It doesn't mean someone else is going to accept your situation because that's there. That is literally, for me, a right with a small r. That's their right to be themselves as well and their authentic selves. And our situation doesn't necessarily change theirs. And I think you have to... It's like it's like when anybody, when any partners break up with each other, you've got to sit down and take your fair share of the process rolling forward, and um, and I think sometimes you know, and you do that in the maelstrom of emotional hoochie flippery that's going on through this process, and that's why it's so important to have someone by your side. You know, I think what you did on your own, sort of unsupported, is is an, a remarkable testament to your mental health and your your strength. Um, maybe to a degree. But also, I'm not. This is not false modesty. But also to the times and the environmental work. Take the compliment. No, no. But I wasn't. You know, I wasn't fully accepted by my parents. I get the point on considering if you've got a partner and you're in that relationship. But I, I find it difficult to understand families who who won't who who disown trans people or lesbian no, and gay people. Uh, I find that difficult because I, I, we can agree to go. I just find it difficult how any family could do that. If you love somebody, how can you? You know, when they've done something. How, transitioned or or come out how how is it that you stop loving them you know um you might find it difficult but people don't transition to hurt anybody else they do it because it's their truth that's you know, true and, uh, that's true but but the fact is what we can't do is we can't judge other people because they 
we can't judge other people because they've judged us because actually that's that's their that's their business you know if they don't accept us because of who we are then that's their business that's and that is down to them and whether they're family or not is down to them and you know families have a habit of coming around or not families i mean people fall out with white normative heterosexual completely things you know if you're from the north if you're from the north you and i both know this because we're on the north there's usually there's usually someone in the family no one's spoken to you for 20 years uh, yeah. and it doesn't matter which family it is you know there's someone somewhere that's the black sheep or being disowned or whatever the phrase is uh and so it's much more normal it's much more uh, reg- uh usual than one thinks i get i get that and this is again where where maybe you're the better person, uh, 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 Jill. I find it hard to judge somebody who disowns somebody because they're trans or because they're lesbian and gay. I, I would find it difficult not to judge them. Um, you know, I, I whether I, because I can't put myself in their headspace, you know, to love somebody and then for them to, you know, I get the fear and I get I get the, the awkwardness, but to, to actually cut yourself off, which, which is an experience that many trans people have. Yeah. Um, I don't see how that I can't we can't change it, but it's not gonna stop me judging that person because I think they're wrong to be able to do that. I don't know, I think that's so maybe that just makes me a bit more of a judgmental and, and not a better person, but Joe. But I I, I I still struggle with that and I do come across people in that situation. I think it's different in when you're in relationship and partnerships, because that's a different relationship, but um yeah. People, um, people have a an immense capacity to let oneself let us down, to disappoint us, to um, to hurt each other, to be cruel, mm-hmm. and be generally fucking awful. And <laughs> and the reverse is also true. <laughs> oh God, yeah. I mean, look, I'm, look and, and I don't think, and I don't think it's about being the better person. I think it's about just letting people be. If if I want to be tr- treated the way I am, I have to allow that person to be to to be treated the way they are. And if they don't accept me, then that's their right. And all I can do is move on because that's my right. That's fair enough. And that and that's very practical in terms of the bigger picture. But I would judge somebody. I judge people every day who are transphobic. In my brain, I judge them. I pity them. And I, I, yeah, yeah, I pity the same thing, but I judge them. Yeah, I, I judge people who've got, who haven't got love in the heart in that way. And maybe that's just a bit of a hit therapy in me, but... I do judge them. It doesn't mean I will ever not speak to somebody or else, but I do, you know, I think you're wrong on this, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, families. But I, think, I think one of the key things here, though, is that one of the things in terms of anxiety is my, my biggest worry and frustration sometimes is that we, we don't support each other enough as a community. Yeah. So we often find ourselves sort of railing against each other. You know, well, this this is the way it should be. This is the way you should be. This is, you know, and, and I say a lot of trans people who are anxious because the community says they should be something rather. And yet we're saying we should be accepted as individuals. And yet we're sort of going out and saying, but you should be this thing. And yeah, I, think, I do say that. Yeah, I do say and that. I suppose that's one of the things I mean here. And I think in terms of anxiety, you've got to plough your own furrow here. But and that's why... You know, charities that support right across the UK, there's all sorts of um, um, uh, pastoral care, there's all sorts of uh, mental health care, there's all sorts of uh, medical and counselling type care organisations out there. And I think it's really important that you engage with those, not the, not necessarily 
someone who's a rah-rah fan on Facebook who says, well done, you're the best, all that sort of stuff. But people who've got, a, you know, people who have some expertise and being able to walk alongside you sort of as a as a positive member of your of your sort of posse, as it were. Yeah, and yeah, and we're obviously very close to the charity that that does that. And uh and, and so you're right. I mean, I think you're right on that. We we can do ourselves some damage in the community. Um and it, uh, we can, but that's because as a community we're hurting at the moment. And that's why we we are like, you know, to a degree we can become we can be arguing uh, over things within the community that are not serving us, but I think that's because we're all hurting. Um, I think you know when the world settles down, that will be less. It will be less fractious. And just at the moment, I just don't see how it can. No. So. Um, and that's why we should look out for each other, and uh, we should we should spend a little bit more time. Yeah. I think, um, looking after people who are anxious in our community, because actually we do, sometimes we, we just need to wrap an arm around them and say, look, you know, um, we do. We're, we're all here together on this, and and and, I, and you know we we talked another time about I think <laughs> the degree you know the 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 difference between someone and their views, and it's it's okay to it's okay to tiss, kiss a Tory Tory trans person because ultimately what matters is they're trans, and we have to help help each other, and you know, and I think it's it's that thing you know there's I think the antidote the the sort of, one of the cures for anxiety is love. And I think you mentioned that earlier. And I think yeah. to be surrounded with someone so you're not on your own. And one of the biggest problems I worry about in, the, in our community is social exclusion that's self-generated because actually we're frightened to go out. And, that definitely, that's, and that's really complicated. I suffer from it. I, I know other people that do. Sometimes it is a real effort, a real effort to go out. I mean, supposedly tonight I'm going to a group, a support group. I just don't know if I'm going to make it tonight, and 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 it's okay to have those nights where you where you don't, yeah, or you can't. It is, it is, yeah, it is. Yeah, you can only, yes, it is. You only got so much, but um, well, um, if you do, I hope you have a great time, and if you don't, I hope you chill. Well, that's uh, it. Well, we, we may come back to the subjects again in the I future. Think so. I think so. Uh, yeah. I, th I think because um, I think we know anxiety is huge, and I just want to reach out and say, first of all, remember the context, remember the perspective, remember that there are things you could do on all sorts of bases to help your own ex effects of anxiety, and realize that there's a lot of people on your side, and where where some where part of that community that's on your side. Indeed, indeed, there's a wise words, definitely. Well, even if you to... are, even if you are wearing a West Ham strip, <laughs> yeah, you know, God, you're not going to let us go, are you? Um... <laughs> and until the next time, <laughs> until until the next time, who knows what I'm going to be apparently be wearing, which none of you can see. But there's there's, there's a bit of Japanese. I, I was for impressed you. by the cigar. That was the well, the you know, it's, it's it's just a look. It's a vibe, you know. It's, yeah. it's just something I'm I'm going with, you know. Part of that aspidistra and um, net net curtains you've got going on behind you. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, I'm mixing it up. <laughs> Great to be with you all again. Um, can't wait till the next time. Be good. You take care. Bye-bye now. Thanks for listening to this episode of Transvox. It's been a joy to have you with us. Um, if you want to um, make contact with us, you can contact us at gillian at transvox.co.uk. And if you'd like to support the work we do, please go to Patreon and go to page Transvox.
And all of our money goes to our nominated charity. And Jen, you've chosen the charity for the next number of episodes. Which one have you chosen? Our charity is called Beyond Reflections, which is a charity that provides support and counselling to trans people, non-binary people and their friends and their families across the UK. An amazing charity doing some amazing work, really important. So please, if you can give. Great. And if you want to go and have a look at Beyond Reflections, it's beyond-reflections.org.uk. And uh, But as I say, if you'd like to make a contribution to what we're doing, because we love to help the people who help us. Uh, again, if you've got ideas for um, the show, things you'd like to ask us, questions, comments, applause, or um, brickbats, feel free to send it all Absolutely. in to Gillian at transvox.co.uk. Until the next time, goodbye. Bye-bye. Yeah.